Hello, I'm Emily Bellet, the founder of Vespod and author of Your Not Broke Your Pre-Reach. Welcome to The Wallet and our new seven-episode mini-series where we take your most pressing questions to financial advisors. In this episode, we explore the important and often overlooked subject of death alongside financial planner Abigail Banks. While contemplating our own mortality may be uncomfortable, it is vital to prepare for the unexpected. What would happen if we were to die tomorrow? How can we make sure we protect our loved ones and safeguard our assets? And how can we provide care for aging parents in their final stages of life? Join us as we uncover the significance of estate planning and delve into crucial topics such as life insurance, trust, and the necessity of regularly updating your estate plan. I'm often asked, how do I find a mortgage broker, financial advisor, or an accountant I can trust? In a world full of chaos and noise, it can definitely be tricky to know where to turn. This is where Unbiased comes in. Unbiased is a matching service that helps to connect you with the most experienced and regulated experts. Essentially, they do the work of finding the right expert person for you. And the best bit? It's free to use. Visit unbiased.co.uk today and find your match made in money heaven. Remember that we are not certified financial advisors. Information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only and does not constitute financial advice. I started researching and getting on top of my money when I became self-employed. I sorted out my pension, my investment portfolio, savings accounts, debt, all of that stuff. But then my partner told me that he has a life insurance policy through work and I didn't think I needed one because I hope to be alive for a long time. And that doesn't seem like something I need to sort out at 25. I had spent so much time thinking about how I allocate my money. But then that made me start thinking about what would happen to all of my assets if I died tomorrow. And I realized I just had no idea what to do other than put my pension in my partner's name. If you die without a will in the UK, your assets will be distributed according to the laws of intestacy. Your spouse, civil partner and children usually inherit first. The government doesn't automatically take your money and your children won't go into care. But the court may decide who takes care of them. Accessing your account may be complicated and your ISA, for example, becomes part of your estate. If I die tomorrow, can you walk me through the steps of what will happen to my assets, my debt and like any other financial matters? Yes, of course. So, um, well, firstly, when you die, the first thing that's really important is to obtain a death certificate. So you're, um, well, if you leave uh, a will when you die, typically the executors of your estate will start, um, you know, going through the process um, of dealing with your estate. So they will need to obtain that death certificate. And that's really important because they then need to notify, you know, government departments such as HMRC, but also banks, insurance companies of your death. Now, when um, you leave a will, your executor is really responsible for getting probate. So that is giving them the legal right to deal with someone's property, money and possessions. And really, they can't make any financial plans or sell any assets until they have um, probate granted. So to get probate, really, they need to value the estate. So gather all of the different um, pieces of information, work out any inheritance tax that's due 
um, and that will need to be paid normally in full or part of it before probate is granted. Now, once that's granted, the executor can then pay off any debts on the estate. So if you had a mortgage, for example, that can be paid. Um, Any taxes that are due on the estate will be settled to HMRC. And then they will make any um, distributions to the the ultimate beneficiaries of the estate. I think the biggest advice I have is, um, you know, an executor can do this themselves, but I would always really encourage them to seek the advice of a private client solicitor. So particularly where... It's a complex estate or maybe there is some contentious family issues. Um, a solicitor can be really helpful in, you know, taking them through the process and taking some of the burden in what is a quite a difficult period for somebody. If you want your partner to inherit the money in your bank accounts and other assets, it's important to understand the potential implications. In the UK, there's a tax called inheritance tax that may be applicable if the total value of your estate exceeds the inheritance tax threshold, known as the nil rate band. And as of today, June 2023, the threshold is £325,000 for individuals. Anything above this threshold may be subject to a 40% tax. It's important to note that if you leave your estate to a spouse or civil partner, then it will not be subject to inheritance tax. For non-married couple, inheritance tax may apply. And if you transfer your money and assets to your partner during your lifetime as a gift, it may be subject to inheritance tax rules. Gifts made within seven years of your death are potentially subject to inheritance tax, especially if the total value of the gifts exceeds the inheritance tax threshold. Deathbed gifting is also subject to the seven-year rule. However, there are certain exemptions and allowances for gifting, such as the annual exemption and the spouse-civil partner exemption. If we take a a step back, you you talked about estate, and I Mm. am thinking about maybe estate planning, and that's part of, of your role as, a, as an advisor. You know, what is an estate, pl- estate plan? How can, can I prepare one, revisit, update? And, and what sort of life events should prompt um, a review? For me, uh, you know, an estate plan is really simply put. It's just saying, you know, how do you want your estate to be dealt with on your death? So ultimately, who do you want to benefit from your estate? And that's really going to involve putting a, a will in place, um, but also a letter of wishes. So a letter of wishes goes alongside the will and really goes into more detail. So for example, if you had a particular painting that you wanted to go to a particular person, you can stipulate that in your letter of wishes. Now, life happens, you know, it changes. So it's really important to revisit these documents. Um, And I'd say, you know, the obvious one is a relationship breakdown. So um, funnily enough, if you divorce somebody, your will isn't revoked, but your um, it stays in place and it's valid, but your you know ex-spouse cannot benefit from the will. If you get married, your will is actually revoked unless it's made in anticipation of that marriage. So for couples who are getting married, it's really important that they review their wills at that point because they may be revoked on marriage. Now, um, having children, again, really important. So in a will, you will put, set out the guardians, so who you want to, you know, be responsible for children if they're under 18 when, when you die. Um, and I think last one for me, it's really important is, you know, if you're an unmarried couple and you're buying a first home together, quite often you, it will be done on a tenants in common basis. So it may be 50-50, but it may be a different proportion depending on how much money each party puts into the property. Now, if you don't have a will in place, 
you will die intestate and then perhaps your share of the property will not go to your partner if it's a tenants in common. So it's really important you have that will in place to say, you know, I want my share of the property to go to my partner, not my family, if I die. And and the process of, you know, writing a will with a solicitor, I, I, I talk about that in another episode of the podcast, but it's quite a stressful thing. I mean, I was with my husband, the kids were in their bedroom sleeping and yeah. we talk about the different options. What you know? So this is this is really stressful. How do you how do you help your clients navigate the process and maybe what are the, the key elements for anyone who are thinking about okay, you know, this estate plan, my, my will, what is sort of a checklist for them? Take stock of, of your assets. So if you have quite simple assets, you know, perhaps a really simple will is all you need. Um, the biggest one for me is children, as you've mentioned, you know, ultimately you want to make sure that you have somebody that you trust as a guardian in that will who will take over, you know, looking after your, your children if you and your husband are no longer with us. Um, and it may be that if you have some slight complex assets, such as a business, you, you might need a more complex will. So you may want to consider the use of a discretionary trust, for example, in your will for business assets due to the tax reliefs that are available. So I think talking to a solicitor is, is so helpful, just looking at the different options that are available to you and make sure that you have you know, the right will for you because it's not a one size fits all in my, my experience. Yeah, and it's not, in my experience, it's not necessarily like very expensive. I don't think I would go on, on the internet and just, you know, do do one like off, off the shelf or, you know, buy one, but actually sit with someone because there's so many options and you don't think about the, all these all, all these different um, options. Another question for me is um, talking about death is difficult, but talking about inheritance is really tricky. Like, yeah. How do you start the conversation with with your kids maybe, or with your parents also? How do we have these like intergenerational conversations? Because if you start talking about that with your parents, they feel like, yeah, but you know, I'm not dead yet. What do you want from me? <laughs> so how do you do that with your with your clients? How do you approach the conversation? No, absolutely. Mine's be a um, succession <laughs> series that's just been on HBO. It's, um, yeah, you know, money can be a taboo subject, um, but I, I think I'd really suggest just approaching it with curiosity rather than being too um, investigative with your um, you know, line of inquiry. So just you know, even just, you know, I listened to a podcast last week and they were talking about wills. You know, do you have one in place? Um, you know, would you be comfortable sharing it with me? And I think it's just having kind of small step open discussions and just opening that door, because particularly in my experience, older clients sometimes they just don't want to talk about their own money or estate with their children. They just have a, I don't know what it is, a generational thing. They just don't want to discuss it. But it's just approaching it in the right manner. And really, you're just going into it, wondering what's in place already and if any planning needs to be done to make it easier for, you know, the children when something ultimately happens to their parents. Children is an interesting point as well. So um, particularly for, uh, you know, people with uh, a large estate often it's getting the children used to the family finances and ultimately the money they're going to inherit you know being respectful of that and being used to taking you know professional guidance and advice I think involving them as early as possible is is really helpful because it starts a financial education piece for them. Yeah and we know that is super important to talk Mm. about money with kids involve them very early on and that actually makes a big difference in the long term and they they end up having more money usually um, in in retirement there's a lot of statistics around that what are some considerations for choosing an executor or trustee to oversee your estate yeah so i think um 
the most important thing is you want to choose somebody who you, you trust to follow your wishes. Um, and I think it's got to be in my experience, someone who's quite organised, you know, particularly with an executor. If it's a complex estate, there's, you know, multiple investment products. They're going to have to spend some time speaking to different providers and it can be quite a lengthy admin focused period. So having um, that organisation is really important. I think someone as well who understands the family dynamic is helpful. So, you know, families are never straightforward. If there's perhaps some contentious issues there, them having an understanding of the family and how to approach certain um, conversations is, is very, very helpful in my experience. And let's say if you have, you know, young, young children and, you know, something happens to you, but you need to be to, to receive some care. You know, how can you ensure like your care, you know, financial well-being in, in the event of you know, death or long term care? Yeah, exactly. So, uh, you know, the death is for me, the immediate thing is having that will in place. So particularly if it prevents yeah. against, you know, husband and wife dying at the same time, you know, the guardians are in that will. Um, I think something as well alongside that is perhaps life cover or protection products. So, you know, for many people, they want to leave a legacy behind. But if you are young parents, you know, you may have mortgages, for example. So having life cover in place that can provide a lump sum to cover a debt, for example, or perhaps um, something we call a family income benefit. It provides a tax free income on first death. So the surviving spouse, you know, can, you know, keep that income coming in for a set period of time and they don't need to worry about perhaps going back to work or, you know, going back to work if they weren't the main breadwinner um, at home. So they can, you know, just remove that financial stress in an already very stressful time. Um, Long-term care was another point you mentioned. Life insurance in the UK provides money to your loved ones when you pass away. How it works is that you pay a monthly or annual premium for the coverage and you choose the lump sum amount, so the sum assured, that your beneficiaries will receive. Modern day life cover premiums are very different to pension contributions and do not receive tax relief. It's important to consider placing life insurance policies into trust as the lump sum could potentially be subject to inheritance tax if a trust structure is not in place. If you pass away after paying only a few years of premiums, the full lump sum will still be paid out to your beneficiaries regardless of how much you have paid in premiums. Modern life policies do not build up a monetary value. Therefore, when the policy comes to the end of its term, there will be no surrender value or refund of premiums paid. This is why life insurance can be a valuable financial tool, as it offers a level of financial security and protection for your loved ones. However, it's important to review the specific terms and conditions of your life insurance policy to understand any exceptions or limitations that may apply. Some policies may have exclusions for certain causes of death. When when should you take life insurance? Yeah, that's a really good question. So for me, um, there's different motivations for life cover. Um, so the natural one is to cover a liability or a debt. So if you have a, an outstanding mortgage on your property, you might take life cover. So if one of you dies, if you own it you know, jointly with somebody else, that, that debt is covered. So they don't need to worry about selling the property, you know, to 
because they can't afford the mortgage anymore. Um, it may be that you you do a lump sum to leave behind as a legacy. So, for example, I have had clients say, you know, I want to cover um, university costs um, when the time comes for grandchildren or children. So we'll set up like a lump sum policy that pays out a tax free lump sum, which can then be used to cover those, you know, education costs or perhaps first house purchase. And now if we just talk about the different maybe types of trusts and how they can be used to achieve specific estate planning goals. Yeah, so trusts are really complex and there's there's um many different types of trusts. And so I'd always recommend, you know, seeking legal advice um, if you are considering a trust arrangement. Um, but, you know, you can set up trusts during your lifetime um, by making gifts into them. So the tax treatment differs depending on the type of trust. So I won't go into that now. Um, but broadly, I think there's two types of trust. So there's what we call a bear or an absolute trust. And this is where you you name the beneficiary. Um, so they have an absolute right to that capital or income, and they can usually access that um, capital at 18. So for some people, it's absolutely fine if grandparents are setting up for school fees, because it's likely the money is going to be completely spent by age 18. Some say, you know, right, you so don't really trust my child to have a lump sum at 18, because don't want to go and spend it on you know, a big car, you know, they want it to be used sensibly. So there's another type of trust called a discretionary trust. And this is where there's a class of beneficiaries. Um, so you'd say, I would like my children or grandchildren to benefit from the trust. But because there isn't a named beneficiary, it's really at the discretion of the trustees who benefits from the trust within that class and, and when and in what capacity. So you have much more flexibility and control over the assets in a discretionary trust that the taxation is very different of the two so you just need to be mindful of, of that when choosing the right option for you you can also set set up a trust in a in a will so for example in, in the will um if you have minor children you, you can set up a trust that comes into effect on death so if you have children under the age of 18 you can leave assets to them in the trust as part of your will if we just go back to um to care i think it's a conversation that we've had in the in the community like coming up quite often is how can we start discussing care for aging parents at the end of a lot of their life because i feel women are in this like sandwich you know generation or position where they start taking of taking care of their kids and start saving for their kids and not necessarily for themselves and at the same time they see their parents becoming older and you see that it's going to become at some point expensive and it's going to become a, a big responsibility. So how do you start the conversations and put things in place that, you know, could help you a, li a little bit um, over, you know, over the short to the long term? Yeah, no, it's a really good um, question. I think the first thing I'd, I'd say, it's always really important to talk about lasting power of attorney um, with not just of elderly parents, you know, I think especially even, you know, partners um, as well. Yeah. Um, so this effectively, if somebody loses mental capacity, you are able to um, deal with their financial affairs, but also make decisions with respect to their, their health as well and the kind of treatment that they receive. So it's really important to put these in place whilst the person has mental capacity as once they don't have mental capacity it's not possible to have a lasting power of attorney so you need to apply to the courts for a deputyship order so if everything is in one person's name you know it's not a joint account if there isn't a lasting power of attorney in place 
you know, that person cannot access those bank accounts until they have a deputyship order. Because you have to go for the courts for that, it can take months and, you know, it's also more expensive typically. Whereas if you have that Latin power of attorney, you can access them immediately. So you hope that you never need to use them, but it's really good planning just because you never know when somebody something might happen and somebody lose capacity. Um, So I think it's incredibly good planning. And then for the elderly parents, it just gives them an option to, you know, be involved in the discussion. Who who do they want to be their attorney? It's very similar to an executor. You know, they'll want people that they trust to do the right thing by them and really respect their their wishes. Um, And part of that is having a really open discussion about care, you know, what's important to them and understanding their wishes. But for many people I'm finding at the moment, you know, they want to stay in their own home and have care. And what that looks like really depends on the person. It it could just be having some more help around the home, such as um, a gardener, for example, if they've got a really large garden or perhaps um, they're a bit lonely. So they may just want some more support from friends and family all the way to having a a live-in carer, for example, if they do have more... um, or requirements with the mobility help, for example. So it's just really, again, starting that conversation and just asking that person, you know, what what does care look like to you and what do you want me to consider now and in the future? So difficult to have these conversations. Um, but hopefully, really I mean, having a, a checklist and some questions or doing it, yeah, probably doing it with an advisor or with someone um, or with like other family members can... Um, can be helpful. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And I think it's just saying, you know, I want to make sure I'm looking after you the best I can and doing the right for you. So understanding what's important to you will help me do the best for you. And I think it's just making sure you've making it clear you've got their best interests at heart. Yeah. And just a final question. And, and I know it's for those of you who are listening and who feel like, you know, I haven't done any of this, don't worry. I, I've done that very recently and also because I'm the founder of Vespod and I spend my life, you know, talking to, to people about money. So I know, I know it's a little bit of a, of a learning curve. Uh, but Abby, what are, what are, like, what is the most common mistake or problem challenge when it comes to, uh, to estate planning? Yes, I was thinking about this. Um, so I really think it's, Purdy not acting or having a plan in place. Um, it, and the thing with estate planning is it it's, it often comes out of nowhere. You know, you you cannot predict when someone is going to die, uh, unfortunately. So yeah. it's just being as prepared as you can and having all of these um, discussions and structures in place. And it will genuinely make your, your, you know, the process you go through, I think, much easier in what is already a very difficult time. Um, so just starting those conversations and being prepared is my best advice. And Abby, even before I did my will, I remember like years and years ago, one of the first thing I did with my, my money was to update my pension beneficiaries. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because it's quite an easy thing to do, but we tend to completely forget about it. Absolutely. I think it's my number one um, prompt to clients, to be honest. So interestingly, most pension um structures do not form part of your estate so they do not come under the terms of your will and I think this is not commonly known actually by um, many people putting a will in place so it's really important you have those expression of wish forms in place as it ultimately tells the pension trustees who you want to benefit from your pension assets now what we typically say to clients is 
you know, put your, your, your spouse or your partner on there. Uh, as a you know a major beneficiary but I also think it's really important to name other um, people on there so for example children in a very small percentage and it just it protects against the event that if you're both to die simultaneously the pension trustees know that yeah. you know you would want the money to then pass to to the children so it's a real call to action I'd say for people to just check their nominations and as you said, Emily, it's very easy to update them often online with, with the pension provider. What about pensions when you die? When it comes to pensions in the UK, here is what happens when you die. With your state pension, if you pass away, your state pension will normally stop being paid when you die. Depending on the amount of national insurance contributions a married couple made and when they reach state pension age, it may be possible for a spouse or civil partner to inherit some of your state pension. This is taxable on the recipient. If you have a defined benefit pension, for example, final salary pension, we'll pay out a set percentage of guaranteed income to the surviving spouse or civil partner for the remainder of their lifetime. This is usually between 50 to 66%. It's not possible for death benefits to be passed to unmarried partners or adult children. The pension income is taxable as income on the recipient. And if you have a defined contribution pension, if you have a pension through work or personal pension, there are three options for your nominated beneficiary. The first one, return of fund as a lump sum. Your beneficiaries will receive a cash lump sum based on the value of your pension fund. This is tax-free lump sum if you die before the age of 75. After age 75, the lump sum will be subject to tax at the beneficiary's marginal rate of income tax. You can also get an annuity. The beneficiary can buy a dependent annuity. Again, the tax position is the same depending on whether you die pre or post 75. Finally, a drawdown is your last option. Your beneficiary can leave the fund invested and take withdrawals as and when they require. The tax position of the withdrawals is usually based on whether you die pre or post 75. It's always best to review your specific pension plan and consider seeking advice from a financial advisor or pension specialist for more information. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of The Wallet. We recognize that discussing money can sometimes be seen as taboo, and we believe in the power of sharing knowledge with friends as a meaningful way to give back. Make sure you click and follow The Wallet wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss episode two launching next Thursday. For the love of money, where we talk about money and relationships. If you enjoy our show, we would greatly appreciate your support by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Lastly, make sure you mark your calendars for upcoming live webinar on financial advice on July 20th, where we'll explore the ins and outs of working with a trusted advisor. You can sign up for free now via the show notes or on Vespa.com.